Hey, Dame. Yo. Do you happen to have any idea who this episode is brought to you by? Oh, I think I have a clue. I think I know. <laughs> this episode of Ergo is brought to you by Overcast, an independent podcast app that embraces the open world of podcasting instead of locking it down. No exclusives, no premium content, no paywalls, just a great podcast app for everyone. And if you know Ergo, we love independent and we love shit not being locked down. So <laughs> so go ahead and get Overcast for free on the App Store. Well, hello. Hey. This is Ergo. It's so good to have you here. This is where you are. Welcome. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Kiss. I am Damon. And what we do here is showcase the folks reshaping the culture of our city and world for the more equitable and creative. What is going on with you over there, Damon? Um, that sounded like there was like a like a a bird of prey or something swooping at you. No, <laughs> been, cool. How are you? Getting ready to uh, go out the city for a little bit. Wow. Do less remote work in the remote work that I'm doing, but I am glad to be here talking to you. How you doing? I'm okay. I'm enjoying some outdoor time, getting my tennis swing back after a long winter. Didn't think that would be a thing I would be saying until I was at least in my mid-50s, but oh, yeah. this is now a sentence I say. Oh, yeah. Love building up your, your white boy list. This is <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have to put it up on the website yep. yeah. uh, <laughs> next to the reading list. Uh, it turns out in a period where you need to be isolated and separate and independent, there's some white things you can do for that activity list. But what we are doing today is certainly not that. Uh, we are <laughs> excited to be sharing the next episode in our mentorship suite. Dame, you want to tell them a little bit about what this suite is? This is, in many ways, an act of service and love where we are paying homage and trying to platform some of the work that has developed and nurtured not only ourselves, but so many of the people in our community and wanting to talk a little bit about this idea of mentorship. So we're going to talk to some folks that have been important in our lives, but people who really embody the practice of taking on the responsibility of nurturing and developing young people within certain legacies and lineages. So we kicked off the suite last weekend with our co-curator for the series, uh, Jacinda from Kumba Links. And we're staying on the dance floor for this first <laughs> episode. Um, we have the wonderful Tangie Harper joining us. Tangie is the artistic director of the Happiness Club, a multi-generational youth dance group, and really just one of the places that I've seen so many young people come up and flourish and thrive and know that they have a place to call home and someone that they can turn to. We talk about her experience building that culture there, some of the lessons that she's learned, some of the stories of the young people that she's served that role for. And just some of the exhaustion and toll and determination that it takes to stay in this type of relationship to people. So we continue to talk about some of the tensions and relationships between the institutional notion of mentorship and these more communal practices that we are trying to uplift and amplify. And one of the threads that I really appreciated from Tanji was talking about how we even define youth. And I think that's something I've been hearing more 
as I'm becoming old, I feel like I missed the boat of this. <laughs> uh, but some of the notion of where we draw that line of child and adult um, is something that we have to expand. Um, and, and another thing that I really appreciated is the way in which these external networks relate to and sometimes embed themselves within family units that exist outside of some of these communal spaces. And she broke down why ego and insecurity are real destructive when you're a mentor, um, which I think is just a really good reminder for a lot of people that this is about what you give. Anyway, we don't need to summarize her anymore. Let's hear in her own words, the wonderful, the one and only Tangi Harper here on Ergo. Let's get it. We are so excited to be continuing our mentorship suite with I say this sometimes flippantly with guests, but I really mean it this time. Uh, and usually I mean it, but I really mean it this time. <laughs> One of the people who I am always happiest to talk to in the city. It's such a joy to be in your presence. Folks, Tangie Harper's here. Bra, bra, bra. <laughs> for, those listen, for those listening at home, there were some, as to be expected, dynamite dance moves given to the, to the air horn there. <laughs> I'm Millie Rock on every block. <laughs> On every Zoom, so, so some of the some of the OG Ergo listener fans may remember we we've had Tangi on before, and we talked about the story uh, as a founder, a co-founder of the Beautiful Happiness Club, uh, uh, intergenerational but youth-centered space around hip hop, dance, and other art forms. Uh, and so go back and check that out after this bomb conversation if you want to get some more Tangi. Uh, but we're gonna get this thing ongoing with our two-part question, as we always do. In this time, Tangi, and define time however you will, day, hour, season, this lifetime. In this time, how is the world treating you and how are you treating the world? Mm. Hmm. Okay. Um, <laughs> you look you look you look mad at us, Chris. <laughs> no, because that is loaded. It oh is. my uh-huh. god. The ultimate loaded question. <laughs> yeah. We should change the name of the show. <laughs> Lo- loaded like questions it. with Dave McKinney. Loaded questions with Dave. That's okay. So That's let's great. just start with how I'm treating the world, I think is easier. I am trying to be of service. And I keep reminding myself that every single day. Like just trying to be of service. I'm trying to um be the change that I wish to see. You know, like I just want to um help the young people that I come in contact with, the people who are in their 20s, you know, under 25, them too. I still consider them young people as well. I think they need assistance, lanes, opportunities, encouragement. So I'm just trying to be of service because I I think during this pandemic, that was the thing that I was like, what else can I do? You know what I mean? Like, what else can any of us really do except to try to be of service? And so every day and every job that I have in my household, all of it, I'm just trying to be of service. Um, and that's what's pulling me through and keeping me going, you know, even when I don't feel like doing anything at all. But then how the world is treating me is I get disgruntled with this country more and more every day. I have fantasies of like leaving this place and moving to a different continent and just being someplace else. And that's not to say that things are not difficult in other places as well. It's just my my mind and body and spirit are weary of America for real. Like I'm just sick and tired of being a black woman in this country. I'm t- I'm just, I'm so over it. You know, I wish that my grandmother did not pass away this year without seeing the same things that she's seen her entire life. 
she's seen change, you know, but she's also seen things repeat. And, you know, she left here exhausted. And that's sad to me, you know, like my parents, my grandparents, now me, my children, this country is still perpetuating the same behaviors over and over again. And I'm, it makes me so sad. Like, you know, you'd have messed up if Stevie Wonder is going to leave the country <laughs> and like move to Ghana. Like, how you mess up yeah. that? Like, Stevie going to yeah, leave? Like, I Stevie just. And, and he's, Stevie stuck out some shit, to be fair. You like, feel me? like <laughs> he was patient. Stevie is resilient. I think we can say that for sure. So, Stevie can't take it no more. That Stevie <laughs> said, I'm tired and I don't want to watch my grandchildren have to deal with the same stuff that I've had to 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 do this and this man can't even see and he is over it i don't know i guess the world is is treating me the way that it always has and and that just means that um there's always going to be adversity there's always going to be issues there's always going to be stuff that we need to fix and i'm still willing to do that work i'm still willing to to be in that fight um but i'm also at the young age of 44 i'm tired you know like i'm I'm tired. I'm exhausted. And I'm, I just don't want to see my daughter, Joey, feeling how I feel. You know, I don't want to see Alan, who's 21 now. And, you know, this whole thing hit him hard. He's been battling depression and um, just trying to figure out, like, what, what it is he's supposed to be, supposed to be and do. And then the offset of all of the civil unrest and we had all of this other stuff that's happening in our worlds and in our art world, especially because everything got shut down. When everything got shut down, all of these truths started to just be unearthed, you know, and it happened in the dance community as well as in other spaces. But, you know, a lot of people that he looked up to were outed for all kinds of behavior that hurt his heart and and made him want to shut down a little bit too. But, you know, I have also have an eight year old little boy who's full of joy most of the time. And I, I don't, you know, he's, he has to now ask questions about police and, you know, it starts that young for us in this country. He's eight and we're already having conversations with him about what he's had to see and listen to and learn about what he thought was supposed to be serve and protect. He thought police were supposed to be good. And now he just doesn't have the same feeling. He has to know that there's like a double-sided coin to that whole thing. Um, and he's eight. Mm. Thank you so much for for all of those honest reflections. <laughs> I take a lot from it. I, I want to start with condolences and love uh, for, for the transition of your grandmother and for all of our listeners, right? Just like we've been experiencing a level of collective grief that I think it's almost difficult for folks to name and speak through or to personalize, right? Because there is the, the macro loss, which may drown out people's space to actually talk about their personal loss or not being able to have the same uh, transitional and, and burial and funeral processes that that to, to heal and to grieve. Uh, so to your family, so much love. Uh, but, but to all of our families uh, that, that have been experiencing loss, I just want to allow a deep breath for folks and know that, that we love y'all as well. Seriously. Yeah. It has been a lot. Yeah. It has been a lot of loss. Um, and it started with my dad. He transitioned first. And then, you know, not even a, a whole year later, his mom. And then all these odds. It's just been so much, you know, and it's exhausting. But also, too, there are all these kids that had to go through this as well. You know, 
and and they're in a very different position where like kids are just, kids are just resilient. They just they bounce back so fast. They are still full of hope. So yeah, I think I found some strength in just trying to be of service for them, you know, and not even knowing really how to do that. Like you know, we can't even rehearse and perform the way that we were. So we just we just went outside and <laughs> put our masks on and just kept practicing and just kept the programming going, even if it was just us seeing each other um, and keeping our distance, but working out songs and and working on stuff and maybe just thinking about content now, like changing the way that we were getting our message out because we can't do it live and in person. So we started shooting videos, you know, and getting on TikTok and just like, like whatever we could come up with so that we could just like keep the momentum going and keeping them in a positive light because it's been hard for them too, especially remote school and not being able to see their friends like you know it's it's just all been it's been a wild year of reset yeah one of the things you mentioned of like wanting to continue to be in service even not knowing what that would mean in this time it pulls out one of the themes that i think we were starting to think about for this suite around the opaqueness of what mentorship or care in that way can look like because yes there's the continuing to make videos and continuing to practice and the the value of that continuity Mm -hmm. but that's i can imagine that that's not all that that service can mean for them um and, and i'm sure that that's not all that you take the joy from too so you know in a time of exhaustion and and very like deep bone exhaustion is what i'm hearing this isn't like fatigue this is exhaustion Mm -hmm. um what have you learned about what that service can look like differently over the last year? I think the main thing is uh, the importance of just showing up, you know, just being there in whatever way you can. So at first, you know, Zoom became everybody's best friend and we all figured out how to use this platform and so we could still see each other and connect in that way. So that's how it started. But then um, once we were able to do some stuff in person, as long as we were being safe and, and keeping a safe distance, it was just the, sh- the showing up and the being there. You know, I think that's the thing that kids pay attention to the most is who's there for them, who shows up for them, uh, who listens, who can they talk to about some of this stuff or who can they just be quiet around and just exist around. And also safe space has become paramount. Like I knew that before all of this, but like coming out of it, I don't think people were taking that seriously, like safe space and what that honestly means. Not just a place where you can like come and create and and make friends and, you know, have some adults where you can bounce things off of and they can teach you stuff. But like, honest to God, safety in the spaces that you're in where you can trust those adults. You can go to them if you have an issue or a problem, but you also you don't have to worry about your well-being in any way. Like nobody's going to take advantage of you. Nobody's going to coerce you. Nobody's going to. Nobody's going to make fun of you. Just all of those things that kids need. And, 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 and by kids, I mean as young as my son who's eight all the way up into their 20s. They're still kids even after high school. They're not done. There's the 19, 20, 21, 22. Like they're still figuring stuff out. And so even though at 21 you can call them an adult, half of them are adult-ish. They're not really <laughs> fully adulting yet. And also, they still need shit. it. I mean, I could, I know some 50 year olds who could use a safe space to talk about their feelings. You know, yeah. it's not, it doesn't end at 25 even. Those it days. doesn't, it doesn't. So normalizing therapy has been a huge thing for a lot of us and being able to talk about 
how you're feeling and and finding some some just normalcy around that. You know, it, it hasn't ever been a thing that people always do. I, I hate saying this, but it seems like it can be a normal thing for white people to go to therapy and it can be the hugest taboo thing for black people to do, to talk about it or want to go. Um, like growing up is dismissed. If you say I'm depressed or I'm not feeling good, like most black parents would tell you, yeah, so what? Like, get over it. You'll be fine. Like, you know, that's today. Pull yourself up and get it together tomorrow. You know, so we don't we don't get the space to really feel all that, you know, to really unpack what depression means for us or anxiety means for us or any of that. We've been pushed to push it down and just keep keep trucking, keep moving, keep keep going. And maybe that's part of why we all had to stop, you know, why everybody just needed to 2020 leveled it, you know. Mm. I got a couple of takeaways that may be threads throughout the suite that, that I want to pull to before I get to my big but basic question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> big and basic. Uh, <laughs> that's how I do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so one thing that, that you were just saying that that I've been feeling much more or recognizing more explicitly is like we've heard the conversation around stigmatized notions around care or or mental health, particularly in marginalized, especially in Black communities. When people have that conversation, I want to make sure we reconnect that to state violence, right? Like that didn't come out of a vacuum or because people are ignorant, right? Or from a lack of interaction, right? Like a lot of Black people have had to engage in things that are called therapy or called counseling um, through state institutions or through institutions that have been really violent and destructive. And like people are, are dealing with that harm. So it's not just like we don't like it. Uh, it is there has actually been a, a, a negative correlation or association to it. So that's just a thread that I, for the ether that I may want to come back to. Um, another thing you just mentioned was the, the notion of like youth to adulthood, these constructs that I think there's been more language recently to talk about as social constructs and not real things. And so even defining what young people is as we're talking about this notion of mentorship, uh, particularly, you know, I think where we are in, in our community right now of like, what is a young person? <laughs> and then and then wh- where are those boundaries or what are those different needs and or standards that we uphold is something that I think we need to redefine. So thank you for those things. This leads to now my, my big but basic question. What is your relationship to the word mentor or mentorship? <laughs> because we're, we're word nerds here. And so we had this idea of wanting to platform folks that have done great work around nurturing and lineage building, uh, but none of them felt specific enough to mentorship. But something about that word feels accurate, but really whack <laughs> in, <laughs> in a certain way. So it's not mm-hmm. even a sexy title for this suite. Uh, and so for you as somebody who I am naming or identify as somebody who's done at least you know, 10 years, if not more, of mentoring and developing young people. How do you feel in relationship to that term and concept? Do you challenge it? Do you deconstruct it? Or is it something you 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 are running with full swing? I guess I run with it. I don't dissect it too much. I, I am careful about it, though, because I think it means something different to almost everyone that <laughs> participates in it, you know? Yeah. And I watch people flail about and <laughs> have all of these issues about the young people that they may have helped or mentored. And the one I dislike the most is this ownership sort of feeling that people get over who they may or may not have mentored or helped and that they feel like these kids owe them something or they don't get the acknowledgement that they feel they should. Like if they, if they've really done their job as a mentor, then the person that you 
took the time with should surpass where you're at and go on and go beyond and then hopefully pay it forward and do the same thing with somebody else. So I don't understand why people can't let go, you know? And I think that's a huge part of you being a mentor is understanding that it's only for a time. It is not a forever thing. Like some people may stick around and, you know, and want to work with you and continue. But if you're doing your job correctly, what was needed was serviced at some point. And so then you need to let go and and allow that person to then flourish and go on and do the things that they want to do. And whether or not they shout your name from the rooftops every single time somebody asks them who helped you get here, it should be the least of your worries because what you were supposed to do was be of service to that person and help that person develop. So for me, it's, it's really about the people that I'm dealing with. And every single one of them is different. Everybody needs something different. Not one of these kids is, you know, that have turned out to be like, we, we can name one person specifically, like Kyena is my favorite to talk about sometimes because I've known her since she was 10 years old. Insecurities was one of her biggest things. She just was super shy and didn't understand that she had so many awesome gifts. And like the older she got, the more she would recognize how great she was. But that doesn't mean like all her insecurities will go away, but it does give you strength to know that you can talk to somebody that does understand how you feel about stuff, you know, and and will let you talk about it and and grow from it. And even give you like good advice, like not just, you know, boy problems, like all these teenagers go through, you know, breakups and all of this, this kind of thing. But the thing with with Kai was I always wanted her to, to understand her worth and to understand it didn't lie within whatever guy she was dating. I don't care how much you like him. I don't care how cute he is. I don't care how talented he is. You're good cake all by yourself. That dude is icing. You can get any flavor icing you want. <laughs> Keep your cake tasty, though. You feel me? Like, your cake is what's important. So make sure. And those are things that, like, if I wish someone told me yeah. or things that I wish I would do better for myself. Um, and that's like part of wanting better for those that come after you. And if you don't keep that at the forefront of what it is you're doing, then you will absolutely get lost because ego is what gets in the way of a lot of people with mentorship. It becomes about them as opposed to the person that you're you're trying to help and talk to. And so I, I don't mind, you know, being called a mentor. I don't promote myself as such. I just feel like those that come into my circle or come into my area I provide the same amount of love to everybody that comes around me and everybody needs it in different times and different spaces and different areas. And it's not all the same for each person. It's literally an individual case with each one of them. You know, there's a kid in the happiness club right now. We can tell he doesn't get much hugs because that's literally all he, he just wants somebody to hold him and tell him he's going to be okay. And I don't know what that comes from, but I know it's something that he needs. And so we'll provide that for him at the same time that we are chastising him for being absent-minded because he's just, he doesn't think about things all the way through. And so we, in a fun and chiding way, will be like, sincere, get it together. You know what I mean? Like, what are you doing? Why don't you have your shoes on? Come here, you know, and then make him come over, put his shoes on and then still like endearingly hug him and then push him and make him go back to rehearsal. You know, some of the behavior can be corrective, you know, we're working on their personalities and we want them to be outgoing, but we also want them to trust themselves and we want them to believe in themselves. So we're trying to build up their self-esteem to the point that they can do this for themselves when they're not around us anymore. How do you get yourself out of that space? That's a skill that you build up over time. Like everybody can't do that for you. You know what I mean? You have to be able to do it for yourself sometimes. And that's 
that's learned. People, some people are resilient from birth, I guess, but some people build that skill up. Like they learn to take it on the chin and then to keep trucking and to not give up. But yeah, I think ego gets in a lot in the way of a lot of people's mentorship. And then I think that goes hand in hand with the insecurity that you also mentioned, right? You were talking about it uh, from the perspective of the person receiving that care. But when you're defining yourself based off this feeling of indebtedness that you want the people you're supporting to have toward you, because that's that's how you define yourself is by the thing that you're providing to them. That's a very uh, destructive and can be, you know, not to be hyperbolic, but like potentially like violent cycle um, and, and the logics of that become very, I think, easily repeatable because often you mentioned this kid who needs a hug and that's, you know, it almost sounds glib, but if you're the person who gives that kid that hug at 14, when they're 20, they're going to remember that hug, right? And so how do you not just take seriously the like, oh, we have to give this kid a hug, but how do I make sure that they know that they don't owe me for that hug? Absolutely. I think that speaks to also not being driven by your own insecurity in that way. Mm-hmm. I'm also just trying to figure out what type of icing I, I think I'm cream cheese frosting. I think, you know, that's, I'm comfortable being a cream cheese frosting. Maybe. I, I'm going to agree with that. Yeah, there we go. I'm going to agree with that. I'm going to agree with that. <laughs> that's some of the best frosting out that's a, the that's a quality frosting. See, I, I think pretty high. I have the self-confidence that that you're talking about here. To yes, identify, self-identify you, as a cream cheese frosting. You need to have that. And I think, I think a lot of our young people are um, in need of, of, adults that are okay with reaching back, you know, like so many adults, I don't know what happens, but do they forget like what it was like to be a teenager? Do they forget what it was like to be a kid and get to transition to adulthood? And then all of a sudden, like you just throw all of the things out of the window and I don't understand it. And I think the reason why I still like working with teenagers most specifically is because I still remember what it was like. I remember what it was like to be in high school and to be anxious and to, you know, to have all these thoughts in my head and not to know what to do with any of them, to to have insecurities, but to still be like super excited and a little bit full of life and a little bit full of wonder. Like I remember, and also to be, you know, to not know and to make stupid mistakes and to have to learn how to learn some things and unlearn certain things also. Like fear is a huge thing for, for young people. They don't talk about it as much, but fear is the reason for a lot of the stuff that they do and don't do. Like they're afraid to try something, so they just don't ever try it. Or they're afraid of looking stupid in front of their friends. So again, they don't try it. The fear of getting caught because they're not being honest about who they are and, and what they're doing. Like lying is a huge thing that you don't have to do because you're afraid of what somebody's going to say or how somebody's going to view you or what somebody's going to think about you. Like that's a huge thing to unlearn. That's still stuff that I work on as a woman, black woman, mom, sister, like all of that. And family, all of it, your family dynamics make up part of who you are, the way you were raised, the way people talk to you. People don't always think about the words that they're saying and how they're saying it and how that shapes somebody's apprehension about whether or not they can come and talk to you. Like if you got a mom that is constantly yelling every time you see her, you probably are not going to go talk to her about whatever's going on with you. You will probably keep it to yourself. And that is terrible because growing up, you need allyship so that people can help you make it to that next step or that next level. And and that's part of your growth. And I don't know, some people don't get involved in who these kids are. It's more about what it is they do. You can do all kinds of things. Who are you? What kind of person are you? Can I trust you around my kid? Because a lot of these kids are around my own children. My kids look up to all of these kids. I'm like, but what kind of person are you? And the same for them. Like, who are they looking up to? What kind of person is that? Down to my staff, 
And we're all very different. Everybody's got different talents. I have to work on them too. The way they interact with these kids, the way they talk to them. And I know this is a learning thing for part of the people that work with me, but like JC talks really fast and he's uh, very opinionated and he is a gay black man. And so he's catty, you know, and, and he thinks everybody gets that about his demeanor and his attitude, but you're also working with children. So I need you to rein that in. You know what I mean? I need you to like take that down a notch and take care of, of how you're dealing with people so that you don't hurt anybody's feelings unintentionally. You don't scare anybody. You don't want to come off as unapproachable or, or somebody that they can't deal with or talk to or learn from. So it's, it's tricky because, you know, everybody's different. Yeah. You have to care about that though. You have to care. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it seems it seems simple, but yeah, yeah. it's not. Yeah. yeah, this humility in service is something that I'm really hearing. Um, you're poking at a, a big thread that's going to lead into. I, I'm I'm outlining all of my contributions for this conversation. I recognize, <laughs> like it. <laughs> so so I'm about to speak about this this thread that that feels really central to this conversation we're trying to have, and that's going to lead me into gassing you up. But one of the threads, particularly when you talk about the relationships to family, your family being a part of the work, is the tension between communal practices, norms, and standards versus institutional practices, norms, and standards. And it feels like this is a word that exists in both spaces in ways that may create more conflict. Um, you mean the and, word mentorship? Yeah, the word mentorship. Mm -hmm. And so even hearing the notion of who you are beyond what you do in a thing that could be performed and valued or marketed within an institutional framework, uh, as opposed to like this more intrinsic, more internal dynamic that may come with like more risk or more responsibility to be able to nurture and develop or less clout, at, you know, if nothing else. Right. You might be able to help someone dance better more easily than you can help them be confident in who they yeah. are. So, so that feels like a big thread that I think we're going to keep talking about in this conversation and all of our conversations is the distinction between what our communal, what our ancestral, what our indigenous practices call for versus what, you know, our jobs or our grants call for. But now I want to personalize this into the, to the gas and love. Um, because, you know, I've seen this, this relationship to family. Um, and so for folks who may have listened to the, to the last episode, uh, my cousin, Amir Leonard uh, has been part of the Happiness Club. I want to say five years, six years since he was like. He started when he was 13. So he is, he is now 18. Um, mm -hmm. He just got accepted into college. I love my cousin Amir. He's in this beautiful transition phase from one type of young person to being that other type of young that we were talking about at the beginning. I attribute so much of his development to you, your family, and the space that you created. He is such a, a wonderful young man, a cool dude. And like, I didn't do that shit, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I love him to death. I think we cre we've created a loving family environment, right? I think I set a good example. But, you know, there are many seasons, many months, right, where you and your, your tribe are in his life much more. Um, him seeing himself as an artist, how he exists culturally, him going off to school, right? So much of who he is, I think, has been shaped by this five to six years. So my family thanks you and loves you so much. My question then goes back to that notion of responsibility because there's a lot of trust that we put in you, a lot of faith, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> because, mm -hmm. you know, like mm -hmm. I see you out in the world and I see mm -hmm. the dancing and it's like, okay, that looks like that's something. Y'all go ahead. 
unfortunately for Amir, it works out well. But I'm curious, right, that level of trust that that takes of a family bestowing the care of their children into you and you doing that work amongst raising your own children, right? What are some of the, the tensions? You look like you do it seamlessly, but I'm sure that there is, is difficulty or struggle into, you know, we trust that y'all doing it right and, and the results have come out well. And so how do you hold that trust and responsibility? Uh, with the utmost respect, the way I would want somebody to treat my kids, you know, I take it super seriously. And I know that everybody's home dynamic can be way different. And and like in Amir's case, his mom has always been super honest with me. So has his dad. If If he needs to take a break, if his grades aren't where they need to be, they are a great co-parenting unit where they will shut him down. You know, he's had to take breaks from the happiness club and not come to rehearsal in order to get his grade straight. Oh, I'm telling grandma. I mean, <laughs> it's happened. It's happened. This is, is going to be awkward. Yeah, yeah. It's happened at least two or three times where he has had to sit down because he's, he gets so busy. And then this happens with a lot of the young people that are super talented. They're super into what it is they're doing. You can't, he's not missing dance. He, it's, that's not his problem. He'll be on time and show up for all of that. But then school, eh, you know, so we have to find the balance with that. And we just try to be supportive in all of that. And, you know, tell Amir, like, this is the part that you need to finish. You're getting there, sir. Like, definitely you are at the end of your high school road, but you need to complete and you need to finish. Now, once you're done with that, you can definitely start to make decisions that'll like form your life the way you want it. But by no means do you mess up and not finish high school. And we hold him to really high standards all the time because we know he's capable. I know what he's capable of. The boy is one of the coldest dancers. I don't worry about his talent. I worry about him being a young, intelligent black man walking through this city. I want to make sure that he's armed with the right things so that he succeeds beyond just what his talent is. I need him to make it to 26. I need him to make it to 30. I want to see Amir get married or something. You know what I mean? I want to know Amir's kids. Like, I want to see him make it beyond just knowing him as a teenager because he's a fantastic kid. Beyond the program. Exactly. Beyond the program, I want to know Amir is going to be okay, you know? And that, that to me matters way more than anything else. And I take it seriously because I have kids of my own and I would murder somebody if they didn't hold my child's well-being as important as it is, period, you know? And I think, yeah, for me, it's probably because I have kids that I can empathize and understand how important that is. Not to say that people who don't have children don't get it, but it's different, you know? It's just a little different when you know what it is to have a child and to know what it means to want that child to be the best that they can possibly be outside of you, understanding they have their own path, they have their own life, you know? And that's always a struggle too. So let me be honest about that one. Like when kids are, in those teenage years and they are about to graduate, there is this tension of uh, parents needing to sort of let go a little bit and let them to start to make their own decisions and make their own choices. But most parents have an idea of what they want for their kids and don't deviate from that and don't allow the child to, to even veer off that path. And sometimes it's, it's OK. You know, you can really design your child's life all the way through college. And a lot of times that just does not work. You know, kids will get to college and Sure, mom, I'm going to major in psychology. And then after the first few months of being there, no, the hell I'm not. You know, like, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to do something else. And it can be a struggle when your parents are paying for college or they've taken out the loans for you to go. They don't know how you're supposed to succeed as an artist because they aren't an artist. 
they might have technical jobs and, you know, other types of careers and law or whatever else. And here you come talking about you want to be a dancer and they don't understand how you're supposed to support yourself because that's not something that they understand or do. I can imagine you having had many parental conversations mm. of that exact moment of the it's Man. four months into college or it's three months before college starts. And uh, so our kids said they want to dance. They think they can dance. So you think they can dance? <laughs> Literally, uh, Domino is one. Domino's grandmother, Domino lives in California right now. His Instagram is off the chain. He's got all the likes in the world and all the followers in the world. He's doing amazing as a dancer and a choreographer. He's getting booked for jobs. He's doing commercials. He's modeling. But when he was about to graduate from high school, his grandmother was like, I don't get it. Like, okay, he did it while he was in school. So now what is he supposed to do? Like, I don't get it. He graduated and he didn't. She thought he was going to be a basketball player. Basketball was not a hobby, but the other things to her were. I hope that when she looks at him now, he, what is he, 24 now, I think, and find and move to California and killing it, crushing it as a dancer. That's the type of return I like to see as a mentor. Like, that's how I know I did the right thing and I encouraged him in the right way because he's absolutely doing it. There was no blueprint. He had to sort of go and figure it out. But if we'd have let the fear of them not knowing how he was supposed to do that, because he's just a black boy from 75th and Prairie, like he would probably be in somebody's target right now. And that's not where he belongs at all. You know, there's another girl, Chelsea, who's in Poland right now. Her parents were terrified because she wanted to go. She met a boy. He's Polish. He bought her a plane ticket. That's a pretty good Iceland right there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like That's also a Chicago story as old as time. If someone met a Polish boy. That's a very Chicago story. And this is a, a tall, gorgeous black girl from Evanston. And her parents were like, what do you mean? And all I could tell them was like, if you don't let her go see. First of all, why wouldn't you let her go see? Like, what's the worst that can happen? She's going to get down there. Her and the guy don't end up sticking sticking around or they don't stay together. She doesn't find anything. And then what? She comes home. I mean, if we're working out worst case scenario, there are some shit things that have happened in Poland. <laughs> I will I will say things have gotten messy in Poland. But <laughs> but, <laughs> but in this particular scenario, yes, the return ticket is booked. The return ticket is a thing. You are her family support. I was like, you know, he's not he's we, we all met him. You know, what I mean, we didn't just like let her go. We didn't never know the dude. like, no. We knew him. We knew what it was. And we all threatened him. We were like, don't think we won't get on the plane and come get her. But fast forward two, three years later, she's still in Poland. She's engaged to the guy. And now she's a supermodel in Poland because there are no tall black women in Poland. <laughs> and she out there crushing it. And now she's completely international. Like her parents are like, I cannot believe that this is our daughter. She has danced on television shows as in her little samba outfits. Like the girl is killing it. And so it's just pushing them to be outside of their comfort zone. Yes. But also trying to let these parents know that, you know, it's OK if they don't go the exact route you thought they were going to go. Allow them to try this stuff. Like she was 19, 20 years old. I'm like, when else are you supposed to go make dumbass decisions like this? Yeah, go to Poland. I wish somebody bought me a plane ticket and sent my ass to Poland. <laughs> like, just go see. You know what I mean? Like, go see. Get out of here and go see. And if it doesn't work, we're here. Come home and we got you. But. Yeah. Well, plus this this episode sponsored by the uh, Poland Tourism Board. Folks, <laughs> come on. Go, just go and see. I, I th go and see. <laughs> I'll throw this back to you, uh, Kiss. But just one thing I, I heard from there that is, I think, a testament to your work. And I think one of the things we can maybe learn is the fact that parents are familiar units 
saw or felt that you were someone to come to, right? Like this extended type of family work, right? Like we're, we're talking about our child's life path and you are invited in that circle or you are someone we are coming to consult. Your voice is valid, right? Like that's not something that a title can give you, right? Or that's not something you just, you know, uh, happenstance your way into. Not at all. It took time and cultivation and a lot of trust, you know, and and even, you know, if I falter or, or if, I, if, if I make any mistakes, I have to be transparent about that with all of these parents. And some of that trust was built by making difficult decisions. You know, everything these kids tell me, I don't tell their parents everything, but there are some things like if it, if it gets to that, if it gets serious or something that I feel like you're making the wrong decision not telling your mom about this, or you're making the wrong decision not letting your family know that you're in this position, I tell them that. And I encourage them to be honest and go talk to your mom or your dad about whatever this is. You know, I had a kid that started smoking weed in the program and I was like, you might as well fess up and just tell them. (laughs) Just tell them like they already own to you. You know what I'm saying? Like they already Snoop Doggy Dogging around your room. They smelling your stuff. They about to start accusing you. Just tell the truth and shame the devil and see where the chips fall. And it ended up being a better situation for this kid because once she was honest about it, now you don't have to hide it. And now your parents is like, okay, well, your grades are fine. You're not out here doing anything wrong. You told me the truth. Now there's a trust with them and her mom and her dad that she didn't have before because she was lying all the time before. Yeah. Now she ain't gonna lie about it. Like, oh, look, if you're gonna go to Poland, tell your parents. That's I think <laughs> tell that's a good, your that's parents. A good, it's a good rule. So I want to be a little mindful of time. I have a feeling that you could break down the lessons you've learned being in that role and tell us the story of a million young people that you've served that for. Um, But I want to talk about you again. Okay. We're going to make you do it. Um, All of these lessons that you're able to impart, maybe you just hear somebody say that, but these are things you learn through experience, right? Like, how do you balance that insecurity? How do you remove ego? How do you trust yourself? How do you be more transparent and honest? These are things that like- How do you dump that icing? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I have a feeling there have been some icing skimmed off of some cakes in the past. Um, What was your experience and journey in terms of searching for mentorship? Was it something that you were actively searching for as a young person? And were there people who you found that sort of support in? I don't think I actively searched for any. I think I naturally received them along my path of life. And so my mom is a huge inspiration to me still. And I still bug her and talk to her about stuff all the time. I have tons of aunts and just women in my life that as I watched while I was growing up, um, some of them just stuck out to me as being really super strong women. Try anything. Like those are the things that she used to say that whenever we would go to a restaurant, you know, Try something different. Don't get the same stuff. Otherwise, I'm not bringing you no more. Like, you, like she would encourage us to eat outside the oh, box. Like, try excellent. things. That's a great line. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> She's the reason why, to this day, I'm a foodie. And I will I will try almost anything. Um, I'll be honest about whether I like it or not, but I will try almost anything. What's something you found through that process of trying anything that now is like, you can't imagine that you there was a time you didn't eat that? I know this is a sidebar, but... It my, is a we, sidebar. We I don't know. I don't room. know. That's a good question. Or like um, a cuisine that you love that you wouldn't have had otherwise, something like that? I mean, probably Asian cuisine, because I've tried almost everything, including sea urchin. Oh, yeah. Some uni. <laughs> you know? Here. Yeah. Uh, I've tried durian, like, and, and it smells terrible and made me want to throw up when it came to the table. It was like a shake made out of durian. 
as soon as it got to the table, I was like, oh my God, what is that smell? Like, this is the worst smell It's ever. a rough one. But the, there's no food maybe in the world with a f- more differential between flavor and smell. It doesn't. Like, I had to... It's not a good endorsement. Yeah. I had to taste it like that. <laughs> yeah. Damon's not sold. <laughs> no. Don't smell it. Just don't. Don't smell it if you can't. But you can't not smell it when they bring yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like hot garbage all over your table. That's hilarious. It's hilarious. And then you don't want to eat it. But yeah, I would. I would Thank you I for mentoring me through it. not ordering. The Dorian, yeah. <laughs> Tangie did that, so hopefully you won't have to go through that. Yeah. <laughs> don't do that. Don't do that. Don't, don't do it. But yeah, I I, uh, I fell into, when I started working at the Happiness Club, um, running it before me was a woman named Sasha Gerritsen. Sasha was a huge mentor to me. Like she, from everything from like punctuality and time, which I've still struggled with, but I'm way better than when I first started working at this job. Her talking to me about the seriousness of being present, especially when you're working with kids, she imparted that on me. And it was just the way she explained it to me. She was just like, if you're in charge and children show up to a space and there is no adult on the premises, they are not safe. Period. She was like, so you need to be there. You need to be there before they are there. You need to be prepared and set up so that you know what you're going to do with your day and your time because you are you are in charge of of a group of 30 to 40 young people. And so everything that happens in that day will fall back on you. So if something happens and somebody falls and they get hurt, that's on your watch. If somebody didn't eat, that's on your watch. If if somebody gets lost in the building, on your watch. Like everything that happens will fall back on you and she really stuck that into my head to where now I'm just like I don't have anxiety about it now, but I do have a bit of um, like, even if I delegate and I try to like have some of my, my staff handle things for me, I am still like hypersensitive about what's happening if I'm not there, because I know that people don't care the same way that I do. Even the ones that I've trained and put in position still have their own agenda. They still have their own thoughts and ideas about how they want to do things. And I know they don't care the same way I do. They tell me all the time, like, I don't know how you do it. Like, I would have cursed that one out. I would have I cursed that mom out. You know, I get moms that call me at the last minute because they kid need a ride home. And so a lot of my staff, that irritates them, burns their soul. They like, like, why would she wait until now to ask you to take somebody home? And mind you, I have some very dedicated parents who are there, bring their children, stay the whole time or bring their kid and pick their kid up. And then I have some that you never see. So it's a very wide range of 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 stuff that we have to deal with over there. But I I learned from Sasha Maureen, who's still a part of the happiness club. Now she's an interesting mentor too, because I don't think she ever meant to be that for me, (laughs) but it kind of, it happened because I've been with uh, the happiness club for 20 years. And so her and I, for the last 20 years have forged a relationship. And I will tell you, it took a hit in 2020 because she is a wonderful Jewish woman. And I know her heart is always in the right place, but 2020 was the first time that I had to just like, be like, no, you know what I mean? Like I had to, I had to say no to her about things that I just, before 2020, I would always make time and space for her whenever she needed it. She could call me at one o'clock in the morning and I pick up the phone and be like, what's up? What do we need to do and do it? And then 2020 happened. And I was like, nope, I'm not doing that no more. Well, that actually brings up something that I wanted to ask about. So we've named this, like, no one can care like me. We've named this like responsibility and we named some exhaustion. These things seem like a potential collision course. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, 
what uh what are what are we gonna do so that you're not so exhausted like how do we (laughs) what i'm really asking is are there new skills new lessons you're trying to learn so that it doesn't have to be if i'm not there it could all fall apart or i don't have to pick up the phone learning those how to set boundaries in ways that don't take away the ability to love or show up for someone that's i think a lifelong lesson but i think in the role where it's like this is what i do that becomes harder and harder to do that reminder for yourself of like, but who am I in this as opposed to just what am I doing and what am I providing? In what ways is self-sustaining a part of responsible mentorship? Mm. It's really important. And I think, again, 2020 is what taught me that without question. I think that that's been my hugest lesson is that I need to be okay with saying no. No, I cannot. No, I will not. I'm not doing that right now. Um, I don't have time for that right now. I have to carve space out for myself. I do have to trust my staff. I'm constantly training other people to be in leadership positions. That's the other thing. It's like, I understand that there's this notion of people being in nonprofit management or director positions for way too long. And I know that's a thing that has come up. And especially if it's a nonprofit run by a white male or a white woman being in that position of leadership for way too long. And I think about that a lot now. Like I've been doing this artistic director position for over 15 years. And like, is that true for me also? You know, I know I'm not white, but I have been in this position for a long time. So who am I bringing up to be in a leadership position so that somebody else can do this? Because somebody else is going to be able to do this job one day. Happiness Club could exist for another 20 years. Why not? It's a machine at this point. It's, it's a well-oiled machine also. Like kids come in, they get the artistic training, they get the mentorship, they get the opportunities, and then we let them go. And then some more kids come in and it's the same thing. So. I know it's going to be difficult as it is for most people who have a director position to let go or to to step away and to step out of that position. But think about that a lot now. And I think that's something that, you know, I need to be prepared to do. I understand that when that happens, that changes exactly that word. Like people often will put somebody new in the position. And then when they start to change everything, they freak out. Because they think that this is how everything is supposed to go. But I'm like, no, the minute that you are no longer in that position and you're not directing, somebody else is going to come in and direct it in a different way. And you have to be okay with that and let it go. It's not yours no more. Like hip hop. <laughs> it's not mine no more. I can't. <laughs> I, I love that notion. That was a surrender. Yeah. <laughs> I love that notion of part of your responsibility is preparing how you exit. Because I feel like another thing that I've heard you saying is like, you also got to prepare yourself to enter. Because uh, I think we romanticize youth work or, or developing other people, even if it's your peers. Like we say, like, that's what you're supposed to do. Give back to the kids, air quote. But everybody doesn't have the capacity or should be doing that. I think we just make it think like it's a thing you just do. Because I hear you talking about, you know, if they don't eat, it's all your watch. If they uh, somewhere else in the building, that's all your watch. It's like damn, I don't even have a watch. Like, I'm, <laughs> like, I'm just trying to think of like that much responsibility. I've been in some of those type of positions and have managed it. But just like, man, that's a responsibility we need to be really careful about. Uh, but It's huge. You, if you think about like, like spaces where you got a whole bunch of kids and we might be in a school or something, or I'll take it back to when Happiness Club used to be at Wright College. They used to let us use Wright College on Sunday. So we had the run of the theater, the run of the lunchroom, Uh, the dance studio, the music room, the bathrooms are open. Like it's a junior college campus and there's 30 to 40 kids. You can't be behind the curtains. Like, what do you (laughs) know? You can't be in the green room. No. You had the the run of those spaces and kids were running. 
<laughs> Literally, they could be they could be in any of those spaces at any given time. Nobody should be in the green rooms. Nobody should be behind the curtains. Nobody should be playing in the bathroom. You Man, know what I, I mean? I like, feel like I shouldn't be behind the curtains now. <laughs> this was very but you, clear. You know kids, <laughs> yeah, but you yeah. know kids. And depending on teenage life, like, you know, so-and-so like so-and-so. And now we finna try to creep up like, mm-mm. No, like there, you, there's, a, there's a rich communal life happening behind the curtains. <laughs> literally. And so... What happens there? I'm going to be responsible at the end of the day. Somebody got hurt. Something happened. So-and-so was kissing behind, like all that stuff. Like, uh-uh, uh-uh. No, 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 no. And then there's this, there used to be a rule in the Happy Club that you couldn't date. Oh, good luck. <laughs> Everybody broke the rule. So I was like, why do y'all even have this rule? This is stupid. Like, they're just lying to you. <laughs> the rule made it they're more They're lying likely. to you. And they're, and they're doing it anyway. Yeah. I was like, so let's just like not pretend that that's not a thing. But- how about if it does happen, A, be respectful. Y'all can't be all laid up all over each other just because y'all like each other. And when it ends, which it will, we are going to help you get through that process because you guys still have to work together and be in the same space. Oh, that's mentorship Man. people never get. <laughs> Adults could use some help on that one. Yeah. I love that. I had to do it. I had to do it. I had to do it several times because it, just because y'all broke up doesn't mean that we don't still have a group. We still have choreography. And I need you to get over it and let it go. And like, and not, not so fast. I get it's going to take a process, but you know, this is what it is. And this is a part of life. It's a part of life. And this is not the last time it's going to happen to you either. This is probably the first time. You're going to make some new cakes. <laughs> Y'all might not be together, but we got to stay together on this, exactly. on this, on this one count. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. exactly. We have to be a united front whenever we are out here. So, yeah, it's, that has been a huge part of it is helping them through those growing pains. That's the hard part. Mm. I'm just laughing at that that no dating rule. Because <laughs> it's not the... It's ridiculous. Because teenagers love two things. Dating teenagers and breaking rules. So y'all put them together. <laughs> <laughs> but last question, um, and, and it ties back to something I heard you say in the intro that I think, you know, is is relevant for us, relevant for our community in this time. Uh, and I want to go back to your son, who I, I've seen, and, and I've seen how you love on, and I see how he loves on my cousin. But you named him being in a spirit of, like, heartbreak or disappointment in this 2020, which has been this, like, in many ways, a cleansing and a destruction of our society at once. And you name people letting him down or him being disappointed. And so you, as somebody who has been in that role, but is also mentoring and guiding and is always there for your son, how did you help him understand or navigate or process that disappointment? Because I feel like some of those lessons may be helpful for other people. Yeah, uh, we're still doing it. You know, he has asked for therapy, so I'm trying to find him. He requested a black woman. So we're trying to find him the right fit because I'm not going to ignore that request. It's what he asked for. Uh, Letting him talk about it and and vent to me, being okay with him, being emotional about it and him not not really having any answers and me being okay with not having any answers also. Like I have to be honest with the fact that I don't know what was going on in some people's heads and why they allowed certain things to manifest and happen and why they were okay with all kind of fuckery going on in their space. Like, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that, but I do know that he has high standards for people and he also has them for himself. And he's, he feels like he's falling short in a lot of ways and other people have fallen short. And so slowly, but surely he took his focus away from all of that. He just took a whole step back as far as dancing was concerned. And he didn't go to class. He wasn't at any of the studios. He stayed away from people. And he still 
says that there are quite a few people that he just doesn't want to be around and he's going to continue to stay away from. Um, but he has gotten back into it slowly. He's taken a couple of classes. He still got it, of course. But he just he got a job with a with a doctor and started doing data entry and just did something completely different for a while. Um, but he's still he's still processing. And I think that's most of it is that you have to understand it is a process. This isn't something that's just going to get fixed. All of this learning and unlearning and processing who he wants to be as a lifelong process. He's going to be doing this for a long time, you know, unpacking his feelings about certain things, um, letting certain things go. That's something that I think is a skill that I think he can he can grow from. Like, stop holding on to everything, especially if it's nothing you can do about it anymore. You know, like, let it go so that you have space and room for new things to enter. If you're holding and holding and holding and holding to past hurt, past anger, and past issues and things that you cannot go back and fix, you are filling up your space with resentment and anger and just there is no space for the joy. There is no space for the for the new things and love that can come in. And then a lot of that stuff is toxic, you know? You go to the bathroom every day to let that old shit out. So it's the same sometimes with your emotions and the things that you hold in your brain. Some of it you just have to let go so you can make space for the new. God, I wish I knew you when I was 15. <laughs> One, I'd probably be a slightly better dancer. Two, Definitely. you've never seen me dance. But, <laughs> but you'd be better. <laughs> no matter where I am, there would be steps up. But you would be better. I, I just, I'm thinking about how many of the things that you've said today, even just for me at this point in my life, I've been helpful to be reminded of and, and talked through. And I think about how many people you've done that for. And I can also see and assume the ways that returning to these ideas reminds yourself of them as well. Absolutely. Um, I say this to him all the time. I was like, I might be 44 and you might be 21. I said, but please don't think grown folks got it figured out. We don't. We are still figuring it out every single day as well. 2020 didn't just level it for the young people and the kids. It leveled everybody. Everybody had to reset and start over. Everybody is figuring out a new way to do things. Everybody is fumbling through um, and everybody needs some grace and everybody needs time and everybody needs some patience. Some people need forgiveness. Some people need some space. Everybody needs some love, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so being of service in any way to be able to provide that for other people is keeping me sane, keeping me grounded, keeping pulling me through. Showing me my roses. <laughs> well, you, you you did it. You yeah. Did it. <laughs> you have continued offering that service. So we are so thankful, not only for your time right now and on this day, but all the work that you did that informed those answers, right? Like there's a reason why why we wanted to talk to you. Um, and so thank you for, for being that reason. And as always, if there's any way we can be in service to the work you do, you know. Yes. Um, I'm going to think of something because both groups, Happiness Club and Blue Rhythm, Blue Rhythm is the group that I started that are the young adults that have kind of grown out of Happiness Club that still want to perform. So I don't know when this world opens, maybe we can talk more about those things. And For sure. you know, yeah. I don't know. I love you guys. I love you too. For now, how can folks find you and your work in the ways you want to be found? Uh, at Dance Tange is my Instagram and Twitter. Thehappinessclub.com is the website. If you are looking for Blue Rhythm, you can email Blue Rhythm Chicago. There is no E on the blue, B-L-U, Blue Rhythm Chicago at Gmail. 
And big shout outs to our honorary associate producer, Griffin. Oh my God. Griffin! <laughs> Who made the audio possible. And he also has music that streams. He does. He has tons of music streaming. So he is G-R-I-F-F-E-N. Make sure you put the E-N because there is a rock group called Griffin with I. So this man is not the rock group. He is the rapper. Yes. And he's got everything. on. He's on everything. iTunes, Spotify, all over the place. He's got a song called Swerve that you will love. So if you can find Swerve. We'll put some of his music as the outro. For Griffin the is uh, Angie's partner and worked diligently to make sure that this microphone was set up. So we, he did. We, he does all things. We owe him he something in return. So shout out to Absolutely. Griffin. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you again so much. Um, you are so welcome. Look forward to seeing you in person. Thank you for being late to your next meeting as well. Um, we're no at problem. A, that's that's another trait we've gotten really good at is making people five to ten minutes late <laughs> for their next meeting. Uh, we're at yeah. Ergo Radio. I'm at Ergo Kiss. I'm at Dama underscore AF. And we will be continuing our mentorship suite next week, talking with the folks who are reshaping the minds and cultures of our city and beyond for the more equitable and creative. Much love to the people. Peace.